All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the CYDC podcast. I am your host, Mike. And I'm Arushi. And on today's episode, we will be exploring ADHD, which, if you don't know, stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So before we start, I would just like to ask Arushi, how is your day going? I'm good. It's much better than yesterday, given that the snow has melted off the ground. I'm feeling happier and more in the summer mood already. What about you? It's been a good day. I can't really say the same thing because we still have snow on the ground here in Niagara Falls, which I don't really like. I know my dad yesterday was like, it's so beautiful out. And I'm like, it's ugly out right now. (laughs) I I hate the snow. I want the sun back. And um, But yeah, all in all, it's been a good day. I, I can't complain. Hmm. Well, at least someone in your house enjoys it, right? So you got that positive vibe from at least one of the people in the home. (laughs) I guess so. I guess so. Although I'm definitely on the same page as you. Not a fan of this. It's April 22nd. There's no reason for snow to be on the ground, except for the fact that we live in Camden, or well, Ontario, and that's just the weather. (laughs) But alrighty, um, before we kind of dive into today's topic and I speak to you all a little bit about what ADHD is. Mike, I know we've kind of talked in the past and you've mentioned some of your experiences with ADHD and I was wondering if you would be okay with sharing a little bit about your story. Yeah, so um, many people that know me know that I have ADHD. It's something that I don't hide behind too much um, because I'm so used to living with it now and it's nothing, I've realized it's not really a bad thing. There are positives to having ADHD, I think. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I have ADHD. It's been going on, I think, officially, like I don't have an official diagnosis, but my doctor kind of, which I'll talk about later, my doctor kind of helped me um, kind of figure out that it was probably ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it did is it just kind of opened up my eyes a little bit to the experiences that I was having both in first year of university and some of my experiences as as a kid mm-hmm. and so getting the diagnosis didn't change much in terms of um in terms of services or anything because i don't really need any extra services for my adhd but it helped mm-hmm. me understand some of the ways that i can manage my adhd and be able to work on tasks and be able to f- either focus better or give myself some uh, self-compassion to give myself, you know, some time for self-care in between. And now I think I will pass it off to Arushi to talk about ADHD. Alrighty, well, I guess I should probably dive in now into a little bit about what ADHD is. Mm-hmm. So ADHD, for those of you who don't know, it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And it's a neurodevelopmental disorder, which means there is an abnormal development of the brain, which can also affect a child's and potentially eventually an adult's development. So some of the most commonly heard about symptoms include having difficulty focusing or concentrating on tasks, uh, being forgetful about completing tasks, being easily distracted, having difficulty sitting still, and interrupting others while they are talking. So in terms of the three types of ADHD, the first one is the predominantly inattentive type, which includes difficulty focusing, finishing tasks, and following instructions. It's generally thought that this type often goes diagnosed because they are unlikely to disrupt a classroom. The second type is predominantly hyperactive impulsive type, which includes fidgeting, interrupting people, and not being able to wait their turn. 
Inattention is less of a concern for this type, but they might still find it difficult to focus on some tasks. And the third one is combined hyperactive, impulsive, and inattentive type, which is a combination of the two described. So this type includes the inability to pay attention, impulsiveness, and above normal levels of activity and energy. And this is also the most common type of ADHD. So with ADHD, it's important to note that it doesn't impact one's intelligence, but rather a person's ability to regulate their attention and their emotion, which results in hyperactivity, impulsivity, and organizational problems. But of course, it can present itself differently depending on the child. And we also wanted to touch on a few of the stigmas around ADHD, which includes that children with ADHD have a lack of motivation and willpower, and that it is caused by bad parenting. And we just want to confirm that both of these are completely untrue and are harmful and false stigmas. And we are here to point that out and prove those stigmas otherwise with the information in today's podcast. And lastly, something that I've wondered and that others in my life have wondered as well, what does, what is ADD? and in comparison to ADHD. Are they the same? Are they different? So ADD is attention deficit disorder, which was previously used to describe those who have difficulty with attention, but not hyperactivity. However, since May of 2013, so roughly eight years ago now, they grouped the two together and ADD was replaced by the predominantly inattentive type of ADHD that I just mentioned. I actually had a quick, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> I had a quick question for you about that, Mike. Um, if you don't mind sharing, or just if you know, when people do receive an ADHD diagnosis, do doctors generally specify the specific type, or is it kind of up to the individual just to see which one they feel fits them the best? Yeah, so for me, I didn't actually get like your, um, like a official diagnosis. I didn't get mm -hmm. any papers or anything. It, it wasn't really necessary because it happened in the first year of my uni of university and it wasn't really affecting my studies mm -hmm. um for the most part i've been a pretty decent student i think and so um i didn't actually need an official diagnosis but the way that it kind of we went about it was uh, i went to the doctor and i was like i have been really tired i've been having difficulty focusing on things and he's like well it might be anxiety it might be a little bit of like mental health stuff so he gave me actually a questionnaire um that typically parents are supposed to fill out for their kids but he's like obviously you're old enough you can fill this out for yourself and when i brought it back to him i thought it was a, a questionnaire for anxiety and it was for anxiety uh ocd ptsd depression so there was a bunch of different um sections that i guess he could score and kind of get um some unofficial statistics about like you know where does he fall in terms of um, his scores on 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 ADHD or whatever it is? And he pretty much said like, yeah, you're like super, super high in ADHD. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if I actually answered your question there, but. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I guess, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I, I think I was just, yeah, curious if doctors do specify the type or if they don't, but I mean, I guess also if you simply read the types, it's pretty easy to tell which one you or another individual has ADHD might be able to fit into. For sure. So back to your question. No, he didn't specify the type of ADHD. Uh, it was just like, it was just like you have ADHD. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, and and it's, it's something that I, yeah, I just get grouped into ADHD, the whole, the whole shebang. So. All three. <laughs> gotcha. Thank you. No problem. No problem. So onto the brain, 
with ADHD, which is super interesting. Um, so the differences in brains between people with ADHD and people without ADHD are really divided into three main areas. And so that's the structure of the brain, the function of the brain, and the brain's chemistry. And so on terms of the structure, researchers have reported that people with ADHD have a smaller brain volume due to the brain maturing at a slower rate. Um, and back to our friend, the amygdala, the amygdala and hippocampus are also smaller, which is responsible for emotional processing and impulsivity. So for some people with ADHD, there might be some issues with uh, impulsivity specifically. Um, and so that's potentially why. So the structure of the brain is a little bit different. There's also differences in the function of the brain. And interestingly, there are many ways in which the brain, um, we can see how the brain functions or like how we can view the brain. And so these include fMRIs, PET scans and SPECT scans, um, which I don't want to uh, pronounce all of those acronyms because they're very long and kind of boring. So um, fMRIs, PET scans, and then SPECT scans for short. Um, and what they found is that there are differences in blood flows to areas of the brain for those with ADHD, including decreased flow to areas of the prefrontal cortex. And so for reference, decreased blood flow means decreased activity. And the prefrontal cortex is where our executive functioning happens. And so that includes planning, organizing, attention, remembering, and also emotional reactions. So that big one there, I think for me, when I read that is planning, organizing, attention, and remembering. Um, those are four main ones that even as an adult, I still have challenges with. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of ADHD. And then the third one is chemistry. And so as we've learned in previous episodes, brain chemistry and neurotransmitter imbalance is really important for a happy brain and for a balanced brain. And some of you might be wondering, you know, why, why is this? And so our brain is like this really big communication system where neurons send messages to one another. And between the two neurons, there's a gap called a synapse which is important because the synapse must be filled with a neurotransmitter for messages to be passed along. And so as mentioned in previous episodes, some neurotransmitters include serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. And my simple way of thinking about this, Arushi, is it's like a lock and key analogy. So um, neurotransmitters really act like the keys which unlock these neurons' ability to communicate with one another. So if you could imagine you're on one side of a soundproof door and I'm on another side, the other side of the soundproof door, and I'm trying to talk to you and maybe yell at you and say, Rushi, what's up? How's it going? You're not going to be able to hear me unless we unlock that door and open it up. And so the neurotransmitter really allows for that door to get unlocked, open, and then for us to be able to communicate one another with one another. Mm. And in that situation, me and you would be neurons, which I try to imagine. That's, kind of, that's sounds, sounds pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and so for the ADHD brain, there's specifically a dysfunction with the dopamine system. And so there might not be enough dopamine to fill those gaps, or there might not be enough keys to open the doors. Um, there might not be enough receptors, and so there might not be as many doors to open, right? So imagine you walking down a street and you have 100 keys and there's only two doors to open. Well, there's mm -hmm. going to be a little bit of an issue, an issue there. Um, or the dop dopamine might not be used efficiently. So 
maybe you're someone who's trying to unlock every door on the street, but maybe that those doors are, are locked, right? So your key's going in and it's not working, right? So there might be some some issue with that dopamine system. Yeah, those are really good analogies. The lock and the the key with the door. I really like that. Honestly, I I thought of the lock and key analogy because on another podcast that I listened to um, about diabetes, the person on the podcast also used a lock and key analogy. And so I was like, I wonder if this would apply to the brain. And I searched it up and it does. So (laughs) yeah, no, that was a great way to explain it. Thank you. So now that we have a bit of information about what ADHD is, the different types, how it works up here in the brain, how is ADHD diagnosed? So I know Mike mentioned a couple of brain scans, but the thing with brain scans is that they can't really be used to diagnose ADHD. So diagnosis itself actually requires an in-depth interview and diagnosis from a qualified doctor, psychologist, or psychiatrist. And this includes interviews, reviews of school reports, and medical history, as well as tests to measure attention, distractibility, and memory which as we discussed are some of the key facets of ADHD and some of the things that gets impacted in kiddos and adults who have ADHD. However, as of late, there is an increasing awareness of ADHD, what it is, how it functioned, how it functions and what it looks like. So with that in mind, there are also more children now who are being diagnosed and treated for ADHD. However, there is a bit of a debate on the diagnosis of ADHD itself. So Alan Francis, who is a well-known American psychiatrist, has has been one of the more vocal critics about this trend. He describes it as a medicalization of everyday experiences that are part of the human condition. However, others suggest that the more children that are diagnosed is due to an improved detection in previously undiagnosed children. So with that in mind, I think I'm curious for you, Mike, what your take is on this debate. I mean, from what Dr. Francis is saying, medicalization of everyday experiences. But others think it's great because we're now noticing ADHD symptoms or cases in children that were once undiagnosed. And what I'm just curious what your take on that is. Yeah, I I think it could be a little bit of both. Um, A little bit of there are increases in like that medicalization of the experience. And I even think a little bit of an increase in self-diagnosis, which uh, isn't necessarily a bad thing. We have the internet at our fingertips, so it's easy to type in online a few symptoms and see a few things that might come up, or maybe there's like a hundred things that you might have from those symptoms, right? But um, I think it's that is can be good because I think it's important to have that information when you go to your doctor. You could say like, hey, I, I have these symptoms and I searched up, it might be this and it might be that. But I also think it's important to not fully diagnose yourself as someone that, you know, whether it is ADHD, um, I think talking to your doctor is the most important thing. Um, and then also, I, I do think that there probably has been improved detection over the years, right? Science and technology has uh, increased vastly. And I think even our understanding of ADHD has increased. So that I think that's a little bit of both, right? Like you could have a kid that is a little bit excited and maybe a little bit jumpy and, you know, do they have ADHD or are they just being a kid? Like which one of those is it? Right. So uh, how about you? What do you think about uh, that debate? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit 
on both of the sides also. I mean, I think improved awareness and improved detection is always a great thing. I mean, if that means more children are on doctors, psychiatrists, even teachers radar for potentially having ADHD or any other difficulties with learning, and if they're able to receive the support they need, I think that's always a good thing. But of course, with that in mind, I think there's definitely the piece of kind of letting kids be kids and seeing when it becomes an issue. Whereas, like you mentioned, if the kiddo is just really more on the energetic side. But I think at the end of the day, as long as the child is receiving the support they need, I'm I'm on whatever side that is. I, I agree. I agree. And there was also a study done by Luisa Kazda, um, who reviewed over 300 studies on ADHD over the past 40 years to determine kind of the benefits of diagnosis for children with ADHD. And what they found is since the 1980s, there's been an increased number of children and teens diagnosed and medicated for ADHD. So much of what you were saying, Arushi, but they also found that only 15% of children that were diagnosed had severe problems or severe kind of symptoms, I guess, and have found that they haven't really become worse over the past 20 years. So it's not that these symptoms are, have become worse over time. It's just they're maybe being um, more detected, but there's only 15% of those that are detected have, have severe challenges. And okay. what, this me what this means is that diagnosis might be borderline or maybe even the bar for diagnosis might be lower, resulting in more cases. And I think it's I think it's also important to note that ADHD behaviors occur on a spectrum with no minimal hyperactivity or inattentiveness, and there isn't really that clear cutoff point for diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why I think these findings are important is because it's important to keep in mind why we're diagnosing children and how we're diagnosing children, because mm -hmm. whether it's increased detection or a lower bar for diagnosis, there are both pros and cons to diagnosis. And the first downside that I could think of to diagnosis is stigma that's related to labels, to being labeled as maybe a kid with ADHD or just having to wear that label that there could be some stigmas attached to that, right? Um, and so I think it's, it's important to be mindful of why we're diagnosing and how we're diagnosing as well. Yeah, I, I really like the point about the why and the how and even kind of around the pros and cons, if a child is diagnosed with ADHD, making sure to use the proper language to communicate what that diagnosis means, along as, as well as letting them know the diagnosis doesn't rule their entire identity. It's one part of the many different parts that makes the child who they are. And yeah, I really like the point about kind of further understanding the reasons behind diagnosing the child and what comes out of that diagnosis, whether it's good and whether it's bad, and especially being mindful to, I guess, tackle whatever cons come out of that label. Mm -hmm. So we also wanted to dive in a little bit more about child ADHD versus adult ADHD. So kind of still on the topic of children with ADHD and the diagnoses, roughly one in 10 children do get diagnosed with ADHD. And a lot of the time, it's unfortunately associated with troubles in school, especially in a typical controlled classroom setting. So something that we found are that boys are twice as likely to receive an ADHD diagnosis. And this is actually the case with children with autism as well. And for, in terms of ADHD, this might be because boys are more likely to have ADHD, not be because boys are more likely to have ADHD. I skipped over that, sorry. Good, good catch. <laughs> Yep, 
because I, I read that and I'm like, wait, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but the reason that a lot of younger boys do receive an ADHD diagnosis is because they are more likely to exhibit the hyperactivity, so more kind of obvious behavioral signs of ADHD, whereas younger girls might be more inattentive. So I guess more mind-based and less obvious in a class setting. Other characteristics that are more common for girls is frequent daydreaming and being hypertalkative rather than hyperactive. So with this in mind, a lot of younger girls' potential ADHD diagnoses often fly under the radar simply because they don't exhibit the outward behavioral signs. But with this in mind, I think that's why it's really important for parents and also teachers where possible, because I know teachers are very busy, but where possible, just being really aware and mindful of all students equally, even if they might not exhibit really specific outward signs of hyperactivity or other ADHD symptoms that might be more obvious. And working our way up to adulthood, more than 60% of children with ADHD have symptoms into adulthood, which can be seen by challenges with time management, forgetfulness, and patience. And there's an actual, there's actually an interesting piece of ADHD in adults, hyperfocus. So according to Pepperdine University, some adults with ADHD may become hyperfocused, which means they become so intently zeroed in on a task that they may not even notice the world around them. Hours can go by, meals might get missed, and that might be a result of getting hyper-focused. And if I can call out my co-host right now, <laughs> um, Mike, would you like to share times where you might experience this hyper-focus, um, I guess, in regard to our podcast? <laughs> For sure. Like I said before, it's really interesting, like listening to these symptoms of um, especially ADHD in adulthood, because I mean, as a kid, when when I got my diagnosis, it was like, uh, like it was figuring out and it was like a, oh my gosh, what am I trying to think? It was like enlightenment. Like I understood like why I was the way that I was in as a child. Mm -hmm. um and like i always think of like you know the episode from the office where michael scott's like why are you the way that you are like i got that answer <laughs> like you know i was i i understood like why i was i was hyperactive i was an active kid like at home at school it wasn't a big issue but i always had a really difficulty like focusing so whether it was watching a movie for longer than like 20 minutes or whatever it is, I was always go, go, go and shifting my focus. Mm -hmm. And obviously now as an adult, it's a little bit easier in the sense that I have different priorities and different things to focus on. And I also have the coping strategies as an adult to be able to know that if I have a paper to write that I have to, I have to write that paper. Mm -hmm. But I, I am very, I do shift my focus a lot. And there's a lot of, I know we discussed this before, Rushi, but a lot of wasted time. So what that means is if a typical assignment when my ADHD isn't acting up, if it's going to take, say, two hours, three hours to write, when my ADHD is really bad that day and like sleep, diet, act, how active I was that week or whatever it was, all impacts my ADHD, it, it might take five, six hours. It'll take me twice as long because I, I can't keep my focus on writing for that that piece but then kind of shifting to the hyper focus part which is really interesting is when i get really passionate about a project and something that i'm really interested in i go hyper focused and like that's the only thing that i can focus on and so i, I use this podcast as a really good example because while you know after 
we record, I have to edit the podcast, all those things that go on after the podcast, I am hyper-focused. Like I will sit there for eight hours and work on it, right? And without without shifting my focus, like nothing else matters at that, at that time, right? So it's really interesting how, you know, when I'm really, really interested in something, I'm really hyper-focused, but, you know, obviously during class or especially now with virtual learning, it's much, much easier to want to shift my attention and, you know, and those sorts of things. So, and so I would like to shift a little bit to treatment of ADHD. And so there are multiple ways that it can be treated. So one is therapy. Um, another one is medication and sometimes even a combination of both. So the therapies can include psychotherapy, talk therapy, or behavioral therapy, which helps children talk, monitor, and manage their behaviors and medicate. Oh my gosh, medication in plain English can help by impacting the production of brain chemicals that allows you to better in better control impulses and actions. So uh, like we were mentioning before with neurotransmitters, it's giving you more of them and maybe it's giving you more keys to unlock those doors um, for them, for your neurons to communicate. And so my experience with this as well is we tried medication for a little bit and it increased my anxiety and it just, it just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And so for me, the best treatment has been running. So I've discovered running as a hobby and that when I run like my ADHD, I'm much more calm and much more focused that day. So um, even that can play a big impact as well. And something that I think we will be talking about later in this episode are, are some natural remedies, one of them being exercise. Um, for individuals where medication doesn't work and therapy might not be accessible, there is still a lot you can do to help cope with your ADHD that don't involve either of those. Definitely. But before we dive into that, it wouldn't be an episode of the podcast if we didn't mention COVID. So we also wanted to discuss a little bit about COVID and ADHD. So research on ADHD throughout the past year has revealed a lot about the relationship between the impacts of COVID on ADHD and ADHD-like signs and symptoms. So individuals a lot more now than before have found it more difficult to focus, pay attention, and complete tasks, while also experiencing more irritability and restlessness. And in an article by Allison Harrison, an associate professor of psychology and clinical director at Queen's University here in Ontario, showed that there has been an increase in referrals to evaluate ADHD. However, this is not surprising given that ADHD or given that anxiety, depression, and stress will cause more symptoms of ADHD, even if they've never been present in the past. Cabin fever, which I'm sure many of us are experiencing now with the lockdown for the past year, has many symptoms similar to ADHD and social isolation, as we all know, unfortunately has many negative effects on brain functioning, which I think why is why connection, even in virtual settings, has really been emphasized throughout the past year. And how do you feel about that, Arushi, like in terms of the relationship between COVID and some even like symptoms of ADHD? Have, have you experienced any of those at all? Like, have you seen a shift between the virtual space and when you were in school last year in person? Mm-hmm, definitely. I think, especially in my ability to kind of focus and pay attention, I think I've definitely experienced some difficulties with that. And while I think there are some ways to remedy that, I mean, nothing will take away from the fact that we're all spending a lot more time staring at screens now than ever before. And I think the increased use in technology um, has definitely played a role with that. And while we can't avoid that, I think thankfully there are 
some ways, like I mentioned, the natural ways to kind of remedy and curb any of those, I guess, symptoms and experiences. But I've, I've definitely noticed an increase in that. And it's actually led me to delete a social media app that I thought was kind of messing with my focus. I'll just say it, it was TikTok. Um, it, and I, I think even a reduced amount of social media usage is definitely something that is helpful um, to implement, even though I completely understand that it can be hard and I'm, I still miss the app so much. <laughs> but yeah, so to answer your question, yes, but there, there are ways to cope. So I'm feeling positive about it. Well, I applaud you for deleting TikTok because my friends have been trying to get me onto TikTok and I've been saying I am not starting on that trend for that exact reason that you had said. So uh, I'm glad I have not jumped onto the TikTok bandwagon. I'm glad too, because it's the kind of app where you can just scroll for hours and hours and you don't know where the time went by. And when there's no school and podcasts to record, then it's okay. But when there's things to do and everything is well, most things are virtual right now the last thing anyone needs is more screen time sure for sure and so now i would like to talk about some of the natural remedies and ways to cope with adhd and um i'll just kind of go through the list and kind of talk about why some of them are important so the first one is eating a health healthy and balanced diet and the second one is getting at least 60 minutes of physical activity per day and so exercise helps your brain work better. And I have shared that from my own experiences that I find that running helps my brain work better. And at least 20 to 30 minutes of exercise at least can can help improve mood um, and help impact uh, focus and attention. And if a dedicated 20 to 30 minutes to exercise is not possible, moving around at least five minutes every hour can be helpful too. So 60 minutes is optimal amount of physical activity but minimum 20 to 30 minutes um, is recommended. The third one is getting plenty of sleep. And so poor sleep greatly impacts our attention, focus, and memory. And I even know this because a bad sleep makes my ADHD 5,000 times worse. Um, when I don't get good sleep, I know the next day I will have difficulty doing homework. So, um, but the best thing we can do is practice good sleep hygiene by following a sleep schedule. So maybe going to bed uh, at the same time, maybe uh, waking up at a similar time, and also having a comfortable and quiet sleep area. That's super important for sleep. Uh, also, one of the recommendations is phones out of your bedroom. And so I know, Harushi, you're laughing, and I know we talked about this before, but sometimes you can't take your phone out of your bedroom because now that's become the most useful alarm clock ever, right? Um, but the best thing you can do if you do need your phone in your room is maybe put your phone in a safe area like an hour before bed. Don't don't look at it. For me, I can set my alarm and turn off my phone and it turns on the next day. So I'll set my alarm, turn off my phone, and then just kind of have an hour before bed to, to relax, which I, I find helps. On top of that, so the fourth one would be um, implementing a routine. And so COVID has disrupted a lot of routines and there's a lot to focus on now. And so routines are even more important and a consistent schedule with structure and regular expectations might be helpful for both kids and adults. And with adults using lists and calendars and setting reminders are a good way to stay organized. I have three calendars Ooh. and for children, it can be helpful to focus on writing down homework assignments, 
um, and keeping everyday items such as toys and backpacks in a side spot. So having a routine, um, having things organized in place already is super helpful. The next one is limiting daily screen time from computers, phones, and TVs. And so this is almost impossible within our COVID space because of the virtual learning and the virtual aspect that many people have, have moved to. Um, and so what that's me meant is a lot of us are online more and maybe that for us even means Zoom time. And a, a review of the research shows that overuse of electronic devices leads to brain overload, increases distraction and lowers overall performance. So studies have also shown a strong link between mental health symptoms and excessive use of electronic devices. So what this all means is to try to limit how much screen time you're using. And there are some apps out there that can help with this. So there are apps that you can download and maybe your phone even has it built in already. I know mine does. So another one that is useful is yoga, Tai Chi, some time outdoors and mindful and med meditation can be helpful in calming overactive minds. And we will talk more about that in our future episode about mm -hmm. mindfulness and some of the reasons why mindfulness and meditation are important. Awesome. Well, thanks for that, Mike. I think it's definitely reassuring to know that there are many cost-free options available for coping with ADHD that I think many of us are able to implement at least one of these, if not more. Um, so I think for me personally, it's always nice to know that there are so many options beyond therapy and medication. And sometimes it's a matter of trial and error to find out what works best for you, but I firmly believe that there's something that'll help anyone, even if it's just one of these things. And I agree with that. And even I, I also think that knowing your ADHD and knowing how it works and how severe it is, um, is important because you can kind of schedule your day and schedule your time accordingly. So for me, I know that I schedule extra time to do assignments because there is so much wasted time for me that I need that extra time. So it wouldn't be useful for me to schedule a two hour block to write an assignment because chances are, if it's gonna take two hours, it, for me, it's gonna take, it's actually gonna take five for, for mm -hmm. me. So I need to book up that five hour time slot and a lot of self care happens within that too. So that means making sure I'm eating, making sure I'm staying hydrated, making sure I'm taking time to go for, maybe spend some time outside 20 to 30 minutes. A lot of th these things have been built into my schedule to help me manage my ADHD better. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what I think is one of the advantages too when we're comparing children and adults. As adults, we have a little bit more flexibility in deciding how our schedule is gonna be and what maybe decide what we're gonna do that day. Where kids, mm -hmm. it's a little bit more structured already for them. So building in those strategies within their schedule and within their structure is super important, I think. Definitely, yeah. It's important to never underestimate the power of a good night's sleep, good diet, staying hydrated, and all those basic human needs, I think, definitely play a big role in helping curb symptoms and signs for a lot of things, even beyond ADHD. So should we move into our fun fact? I think I think we've kind of reached the end of the episode. I think so, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um so our fun fact which I think I, oh goodness, I think I kind of said it mid-episode around ADHD and social media. Um, but just in general, there have been some recent studies that have described a link between ADHD signs and symptoms and social media usage. 
Um, so I know it's not that fun of a fact to hear, but consider this as a sign to maybe limit your time using social media. As Mike mentioned, maybe find an app that kind of closes or forces you to log out of certain things at a certain time. For parents, there's tons of time restriction apps for your children for when they're on social media. But in general, just being super aware of the impact that social media has on your mind, not only in the context of ADHD, but other mental health concerns and your focus and just stay off TikTok. If you don't have it, just don't download it. <laughs> I was, that's what I was going to say too. I was going to say, try <laughs> to avoid TikTok because it seems like that is a black hole, which is difficult to get out of. A hundred percent. Yeah. So take that as you will. I hope you all keep that. Here are voices in the back of your head warning you about social media usage. And yeah, thank you all for joining us this week. Yeah. So as Rishi said, thank you very much for tuning in. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast and would like to reach out to us, you can email us at cydcpodcast at gmail.com. And we also have more resources from this podcast in a link in the description. So if you want to see where we're getting this information and some other additional links, you can check that in the description below. We'd also like to say thank you to Colin King for giving us this opportunity to record the podcast. It's been a blast. Uh, intro music was provided by Gaming Free Music on YouTube. And the outro was written by Waterboy on SoundCloud. And both of those links are in the, in the description as well, if you'd like to listen to them on your own time. They're pretty good, pretty good bops. So, um, And we will see everyone next week where we will be talking about <laughs> I <had to> look <laughs> over. <laughs> all right and we will see everyone next week where we, we will be talking about learning disabilities and we have some really fun facts in there as well so i'm really excited for that awesome thanks everyone again goodbye and we will see you next week